It's good to see you all this morning. Thanks for coming back after being here last week. Um, it is a privilege to meet together, and it is because of um, his kindness. You think about um, the cars that we have to get here, the means to get here, the gas in our cars, the building we have to be here. Um, we're here without, with freedom, and uh, what a privilege it is to come around his word together again this morning. And just thank you for being here, for being faithful, to be in his word, and to desire to know him. We give great thanks to him for you and for all the many blessings and provisions he gives to us to be here. So let's pray again. God, we do give you great praise this morning. We are humbled by your kindnesses to us in so many different ways. But it is your blood that has purchased us and it was at great cost to you. And so, Lord, may we live today in a way that honors you, that lifts you up, that makes much of you and your sacrifice for us. Lord, we do pray that we would come under your word this morning, that we might be humbled by it, that we might be encouraged by it, we might be convicted by it. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would do his work in our hearts as you use my voice to bring your words to the gals this morning. Thank you, Lord, Lord, for allowing us to be here together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to turn our uh, binders over again this morning. I'm here because I don't have a clock in here, so this is my phone. I'm not checking for messages or anything like that. <laughs> Can anybody, by memory, tell me what the, um, our purpose is for Wellspring? I know you can. Be, be bold. Thank you, Erica. Well, it is a lifelong process of sanctification, right? Becoming more like Christ. And I hope and pray that you are being encouraged every week in this pursuit of God and that you are seeing his grace in your life as your heart is being transformed by the gospel, as you are passionate about the gospel. This morning we're going to look a little deeper at, at Discipline 1, the heart. She prayerfully shepherds her heart toward God through the word of God, and in particular, the gospel. Notice the adjective there to describe the way that she shepherds her heart toward God. The word is prayerfully, right? The beginning of our homework, and again this week, usually begins with a reminder to pray. We ask God to increase our appetite and desire for him and to change us to be more like him. Or we're instructed to take a few minutes to quiet our heart and pray, thanking God for his provision of his word and asking God to reveal more of himself to us. We ask him to open our eyes, as the psalmist does, that we might see wondrous things in his law. I'm thankful for that reminder each time that I study his word. Prayer prepares our hearts rightly, gives God due honor, right? We are in need of a Savior every day, and through prayer we acknowledge our dependence upon him. That's what prayer is, depending upon Christ. There is great benefit then in even praying his very words back to him. And Sarah is going to come next week and teach us more about prayer. And I'm really excited, really earnest to hear and to learn and to discipline myself even greater ways in prayer. Well, heart shepherding is an ongoing discipline. And another word we look at is discipline. It takes discipline to have a mind set and focused on God and his word throughout my day. We've all had those times we sit down at the word and our mind begins to wander to all things that are before us today 
or maybe burdens from yesterday. We want to read our Bible prayerfully and then extend what we've read into our life so that we're thinking biblically as we live out our entire day so that we truly do live gospel-transformed lives. Lives that are changed because the one and only God who is holy, I love what Jenna just said, made us in his image to know him, but man sinned and was separated from God. His, because of his great love, God sent Jesus, lived a perfect life, died in the cross, and rose again, thus fulfilling the law himself and taking on himself the punishment of all the sins of those who would ever turn and believe in him. He rose, showing that God accepted Christ's sacrifice and that God's wrath against us was satisfied, was exhausted. <coughs> he now calls us to repent of our sins and to trust in Christ alone for our forgiveness. If we will repent and trust in Christ, we are born again into a new life, an eternal life with Christ. Ladies, the gospel brought near to our hearts will change everything about us. It will change the way we think, the way that we feel, the way that we act, the way we interact with one another. It will affect every aspect of our life. And this heart shepherding takes discipline because without being careful to keep my eyes on the Lord and his word, paying attention to what my heart is doing, without shepherding my heart toward Christ in the word, I'm in danger of drifting and wandering like we talked about last week. Remember that the word of God is his provision for my heart. And it's a tool that God most often uses to change us. And it's the final authority. There's a lot of junk in the world today. The Bible is our final authority. We are vulnerable to the, all the mixed condition weaknesses described in the... Uh, let me name it right. God's transformation of man. Mine's a little beat up already. We are vulnerable to such things as being deceived, to legalism, to loving the world, to being self-confident, on and on and on the list goes. The fact is that the world and I, you and I live in are constantly pulling us away from Christ. We don't have to work at making our focus drift away from the gospel. It happens. The world, my own heart, as long as we are in these earthly bodies, we fight against the flesh at keeping our focus on the gospel. And that is that takes discipline, right? If there's anything in life we should be passionate about, it's the gospel. Passionate in thinking about it, reflecting upon it, rejoicing in it, allowing it to color the way that we look at the world and all of life. We search ourselves with the word of God. God's word is living and active, and it allows me to see my heart rightly. Nothing is hidden from God's sight. He knows everything. But we do not need to fear that searching, right? As we go before the word and our hearts are laid bare, we don't have to fear God. We don't have to fear what he's going to show us. There's going to be sin, and he's going to reveal it. It has to be cleansed. But for those who have been chosen by God, there is no condemnation any longer. We're reminded that God crushed his only son on our behalf. Pain for every sin. In Christ, for the believer, God only has love and compassion and deepest affection for us. And there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ, in Christ Jesus. So we diligently continue to pursue Christ through his word. Discipline two is she ministers to those in her household with her heart for God and the gospel. Whether you have a house full of people that you live with or you live by yourself, 
you are responsible to make sure that you have a heart for God and the gospel in your home. There ought to be an aroma of Christ in us and in our home noticed by others and those who come in. If perhaps you're prone to think that the truth of the cross is something you've already adequately understood, here are some symptoms that, have, that might arise from not being cross-centered. You lack joy. You're not consistently growing in spiritual maturity. Your love for God lacks passion. We all want to have joy, and we all want to grow and have a deeper love for God. So we must be passionate about the cross, and we strive more adequately to grasp the truths we find there. So it's we continue to learn. Well, ministry means to attend to, care for, look after, help, and assist. Discipline 2 tells us that ministry to those in our household is rooted in motivated by her own heart for God. So if we want to have impact in our homes, we must pursue Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For Christ's love compels us. And to be compelled is to be highly motivated. We are to be motivated by God's love for us. And where do we learn of his love? We most clearly see it in the gospel, in the cross of Christ. Proverbs 31.20 says, She looks well to the ways of her household. It's a description of character that we all strive for, married and single, right? There are godly traits that we strive for, and we find this passage helpful. In a, another month or so, we're going to move into the discipline to the home. Um, right before Thanksgiving, Chris is going to come and share again about Mary and Martha. I've always found that to be both challenging and encouraging, because I'm always emboldened and humbled to learn more about my role in my home. Discipline three, with a heart for God and the gospel and fulfilling her ministry within her home, she steps into the church to shepherd others toward God and the gospel. Every person who, I'm sorry, every woman who is focused on consistent heart shepherding will be valuable and irreplaceable role in the body of Christ like we talked about last week. The woman who has been feasting on God and his word has something to share with others. That woman is helpful and useful for the church will be equipped to deal with daily circumstances according to God's word. Then we will develop the discipline of rehearsing the gospel to ourselves first by renewing our minds and be reminding ourselves and others what God has accomplished for us. That's why we're to soak ourselves, saturate, drench ourselves continually with scripture. We'll still experience stresses for sure, temptations and emotions and hard things in our day, but those experiences won't undo us. They won't make us drift off course because we are able to think rightly about them and about God. This takes talking to ourselves, and it's what we share with one another. We often exalt and rely on feelings, and it's what Lloyd-Jones calls listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. Very often, most of happiness unhappiness in life is due to the fact that we are listening to ourselves instead of talking to ourselves. It's important that we're preaching, I'm sorry, every day we have two choices. We can listen to ourselves and our constantly changing feelings over circumstances, or we can talk to ourselves about the unchanging truth of God and what he has accomplished for us. And we want to be helpful to other ladies as we help her see that too. We build one another up in the Lord. Do you see how these all three work together? It's important that we're preaching the gospel to ourselves first, and by that I mean remembering the gospel, using it in shepherding my heart. The gospel should not be separated from the word of God. 
it needs to be stayed anchored in its scriptural context. And so we need to recognize the gospel is the crown jewel of the word. We're not going to understand and apply scripture rightly if we don't understand the centrality of the gospel in the word. But also, we need to guard against focusing only on the gospel, but neglecting the whole counsel of his word. Well, we've learned about the condition of our hearts and how to to direct our hearts to what it needs most. And we move now into caring for our hearts. It's kind of the rubber meets the road kind of study. The home is a training ground to put into practice what God has already done in our hearts. We have opportunities all through the day to trust him, to stand on his promises, and display and encourage others. So today's lesson, I'm going to have, start with the pop quiz. But, I don't know, a little bit down on your first page, there's a section that says, what does shepherding my heart mean? I think it's a good place for you to just spend a couple of minutes um, so far in your understanding and maybe it's your first year so it's more limited maybe you've been here a while you have greater understanding but what does it mean to shepherd my heart what what comes to your mind when you think about that we're going to talk about it a little bit so take 30 seconds or something and just jot down a few things that shepherding your heart means Bring my heart and thoughts in obedience to Christ. Awesome. Bringing my thoughts and heart into obedience to Christ's word. Very good. Very, very good. One more. Directing my heart toward God and his word throughout my day. Good. Directing my heart toward God throughout my day. Very good. We're all going to learn more today. Maybe you only had one or two, or maybe um, you feel as though your understanding is small. Um, I hope today's lesson will help, and I continue to learn what it means to um, shepherd my heart. So, But I want us to know that if we come away from our quiet time, our time with the Lord, and close up our Bibles, and put away our journals, and leave them till tomorrow, same place, same time, we've missed the whole of shepherding our hearts. Shepherding is more. It's so much more. Shepherding is engaging with the God of the Word. It certainly is preaching the gospel to myself and renewing my mind. This time set aside is to renew my mind with Scripture and to worship the Lord of all. We ought to be awed by God in the Scripture and lose sight of ourselves and worship Him. Don't ever leave your time with the Lord without worshiping Him, seeing Him anew in the Word. 
Shepherding my heart is not only about meeting with him every day, bringing my heart near his word, but it's a continual and constant caring for, guarding, and directing my heart. It's recognizing and repenting of sin throughout the day, throughout the day, and being mindful and thankful for God and his provisions and care for me. Shepherding my heart involves confession of sin, cultivating a right view of God, being in awe of him. Relinquishing my perceived personal rights involves forgiveness. It involves trusting God with his sovereign plan and will for my life when things aren't the way I think they should be. It's informing my mind of biblical truths when my heart is weak or when it's tempted. And it goes on and on and on. And so this week, we're going to try to better understand what is shepherding. We're going to dig a little deeper in our discovery. We've talked a lot about the heart so far, right? But when we say shepherd our heart, we're going to talk a little more. Shepherding my heart throughout the day is the overflow of disciplines one, two, and three. So how is this meeting of the Lord meant to carry over into my whole day? And you know, you can meet with him many times throughout the day, right? Maybe your heart is being tempted and you need to go to his word. Or some circumstances just happen and you know you need to go to the word. Or whatever it might be. The gospel's transforming work in my heart must change the way I think and act and treat others in my life. The gospel realities are exactly what my heart needs to hear when my sin, when I have sin in my heart. If what I have read is not affecting my life beyond my quiet time, I must examine why this is true or not true. If I say, oh, I've shepherded my heart, I've been in the word, but I was unkind in my words or actions throughout the day or complained the rest of the day, there's a disconnect somewhere. And we're not talking about perfection, right? We are talking about a life characterized by those things. But I might not be shepherding my heart well. I keep growing in all that it means, and I continue to pay attention to my heart. And so we continue on. We are sinners saved by God's grace, but we want to be women whose lives have been transformed by the gospel and that it's evident to others around us. Our aim is to get God more and more and more of him. And in that aim, that pursuit, others are watching. What a privilege it would be that in your pursuit of Christ, others would see a life that's been changed, and they would desire God. He says, let your light shine so that others may see my good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven. Haven't you been in small group, either here or during the week, and been encouraged by other women? As they share their struggles and how they have shepherded their heart, what they've said to their heart to help them to be realigned with God's word. I am every week. So we must be diligent to make the connection between the time in the word and the rest of our day, keeping watch over this heart. So let's say that you've been diagnosed with heart disease. The doctor has prescribed a prescription, and you are faithful to take that pill every morning without fail. You wouldn't even think about missing it for a day. Your health depends on that. However, after taking your pill every day to help with that disease, would you then consider continuing to eat the, the foods the doctor has said would only promote heart disease? You're not guarding your health any longer. If you want to protect your heart against that disease, you will watch carefully also what you eat. In the same way, as I am in the Word of God, when I'm meeting with the Lord, that is so important. It's vital for the condition of my spiritual heart, and I don't want to minimize that in the least. But what I do with the, my heart the rest of the day is also just as important. See, I can take my pill 
I can meet with the Lord and forget about him the rest of the day. I can feed my heart junk all day long by what I listen to or what I read or what I think on that is contrary to God's will for me. Or I can get careless or confident. So now I think I can trust myself. So I take a half a pill or I skip for a few days and I become inconsistent with the Lord because I think my heart is doing okay. So we want to remember that though the reading plan is a tool to help us, it is not in itself the shepherding of my heart. One shouldn't be able to think they're shepherding their heart if they're not dealing with sin throughout the day or their thoughts of God are not accurate. We all know that shepherds don't just care for sheep only in the morning, right? Shepherds tend their flock all day long and into the night. Shepherds need, I'm sorry, sheep need constant care. And maybe it would be helpful to come up with some other ways uh, to say what we mean by shepherding my heart. It certainly is not helpful to use it if we don't know exactly what it means, or we don't want it to become just a word that we use at Grace Bible, but we don't really understand, or it becomes lost in, the, um, lost in its meaning. We might say, um, guarding my heart throughout the day. Or you might ask me, how is your heart responding to that circumstance? <coughs> How are you directing your thoughts? Pay attention to what my heart does in given circumstance. Is it, is it responding the way that the Lord um, would be honored? So some synonyms for shepherding would be to counsel, to coach, mentor, guide, show. And the biblical definition is in the Strong's Concordance. And just a little side, there is an online um, help called Blue Letter Bible. It's blb.org. It's a really helpful online tool. And so Strong's Concordance, you can um, find that online. Um, so a biblical definition would be to feed, to tend a flock, keep sheep, to rule or govern, to furnish pasture for food, to nourish, to cherish one's body, to serve the body. And this one comes closest to what we mean by discipline one, to supply what is required for the soul's need. But the most helpful way to understand what we mean by shepherd is to look into the Word of God. When we do that, we find out very, how very descriptive it is. So here are some characteristics of a good shepherd. Um, they guard and tend. They do it voluntarily. They do it with eagerness. They rule. They are faithful. They gather and they feed. They train to walk in and keep and observe God's word. They sacrifice for and protect. They dispel fear. Can you think of um, shepherds over you right now who do that faithfully? And that's what we're aiming about when we shepherd our hearts, to faithfully and eagerly guard, lead, feed, and train my heart to obey God's word, to dispel fear from my heart by drawing near to him, to know his character and love for us. You see, if you and I are fearful perhaps in the day about maybe finances and we are in his word and as we're reading we see that God loved me so much that he provided for my greatest need he provided salvation for me something I couldn't do on my own God met my greatest need in salvation so I don't have to fear because he will surely meet my needs now we don't have to fear because we know his character. And it's to provide for everything I need. He says it. He promises it. Because I know him and who he is, I can trust. 
and when my heart wants to fear, I can know without a doubt that my trust has been misplaced. I am trusting in my own wisdom and my own understanding. Now listen to what the word says about bad shepherds. And this is all from Blue, Blue Letter Bible. They have no understanding. They haven't sought the Lord. Their flocks scatter. Their fields are ruined and trampled down. They destroy the sheep. They don't tend to the sheep. They lead the sheep astray. Bad shepherds sleep when they should be watching. They are worthless. They leave the flock. They're foolish. They don't care for the perishing. They do not seek the scattered, and they do not heal the broken. They devour the sheep, actually. Those with no sheep are described as afflicted, distressed, discouraged. It does a sheep no good to have a bad shepherd or to be unshepherded. There's no protection from affliction or discouragement or distress. There's no sustenance for healing or brokenness. And that's a very dangerous place for a sheep and a very dangerous place for our hearts. And we learned last week that God had made a provision for our hearts, and that's through his word. Jesus is the chief shepherd, it says. It tells us in Psalm 23, he's the good shepherd who lays down his life for his friends. And so part of our shepherding our heart is to bring the heart to the good shepherd, Jesus, so that we might receive the shepherding care he has for us. We get a good picture of our heart here as like sheep. We have looked at the description of good and bad shepherds. Now let's look at some facts about sheep about us. It's not pretty. Sheep are the dumbest of animals. They're helpless and timid. They require constant attention and meticulous care. They will go the wrong way, unaware of the dangers at hand. They've actually nibbled themselves right off the cliff because they are unaware. They'll eat and drink things that are disastrous to them. They easily fall prey. They can become cast down, and they panic, and they die. They actually, sheep, will, if they get on their backs, they can't get right, back, right side up again. Um, they'll die in that position. Isaiah 53 says, All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of them all to fall on him. So we continue with heart shepherding, remembering that pill for heart disease. We've taken our pill, but we don't want to eat junk all day. We have to train ourselves to stop and turn in a different direction in our thinking, using God's provision for our hearts, his word. We guard this heart. So here's an example, maybe, of how we preach the gospel to ourselves when we do sin. Watch for the element of confession and rehearsing the gospel realities. We have to know these. Ladies, this should be right with our Bible continually, that we keep going back to the great things that the Lord has done. So let's say you've had a really busy week and you are exhausted. You fall into bed each night knowing that tomorrow is going to be another full day. Your heart is weak spiritually. You finally have a day at home, a day of rest. Maybe your mom has the kids, and you are looking forward to just being home, quiet with your own thoughts, some extra quiet time with the Lord. You're, you have expectations for your day. Your husband's working today. He's had an even busier week than you. You're about to take a long-needed rest, and he calls, and he's forgotten some at the office, and he calls his helpmate. You, however, are angry. Angry that your plans and your expectations have exploded. Selfishness rears its ugly head. 
Pride says, I have a right to this day. All kinds of things run through your head, but none of them are good. I'm entitled to this. I deserve a break. What we see in the example is just the leaves of the tree, right? It's the visible. But what you don't see is the root of the tree or the root of the sin of anger. You must be diligent to dig deeper to see where that sin's root is. Sin is never in isolation. It always has a friend. It always has a companion. The sin I first recognize is usually just the tip of the iceberg. There is much to this sin that lies far beneath the surface. I might speak unkindly to my husband, but if I dig deeper, I will find I'm angry. And deeper, I'm selfish, self-focused. I want what I want. I desire pleasure more than I desire to please the Lord or my husband. What's going on in the heart when I am disrespectful or talk unkindly to another? There's lack of love. There's lack of love for the Lord and lack of love for the one I have hurt. We are saying, I want what I want now, and you are not serving me in this. This is my kingdom. There is love for my own pleasure. I'm not following God's command in Philippians 2, 3, and 4. In humility, count others more important than yourselves. At the root is pride. I deserve better than this. I don't trust that this circumstance really is the best that you have for me today, God. Such arrogance and such self-centeredness. This is actually all-out rebellion against God. I'm saying that I would do a better job controlling the universe than he is at the moment. Rebellion is at the heart of my sin. Do you see how digging deeper to uncover the root is really helpful? That takes discipline and that takes time and energy. But it is good and it's what we need to do. You've brought your heart near to God through his word and now the shepherding continues, right? Now I must bring this wayward heart of mine back to God through his word and remember what Christ has done for me on the cross and transform my mind once again with his truth. It's what Jenna shared this morning. He didn't leave us alone really struck me again just the way she said that this morning the Lord didn't just leave me alone I'm holy so get away he provided for my every need as those who have been chosen by God we have been given the power to respond biblically because of the cross Christ has paid for the sin that I just committed you call to mind again first John 1 9 if we confess our sins he is faithful and just to forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness So this is how we might uh, preach the gospel to ourselves in this. I know this is a really long um, introduction there. Um, We're going to get there, I promise. So let's go to James 1, 19 and 20, just to help us to see kind of rubber meets the road. How would we go about shepherding my heart? James 1, 19 and 20 says this. Know this, my beloved brethren, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. So so let's say um, the story I just told you just happened. So now I'm in the word, I'm with the Lord, I know that I've sinned against my husband, and so I run to God's word. I want to shepherd my heart. Or maybe you've memorized the scripture before and God's calling it back to your mind now in conviction. So this is how I might pray this. 
Lord, my anger has not produced the righteousness that you have required. I have not lived and put Christ's righteousness on display this morning. I have loved myself more than I have loved you. I have loved pleasure more than I have loved your righteousness. I know you have sent Christ to suffer for my sin. You have bled and you have died. Your righteousness is precious to me. And I have trampled upon this in my moment of anger. Father, forgive me. I'm thankful for your paying the penalty for my sin. I have been declared righteous. You have loved me. I have no power to walk without anger or impatience or pride apart from you. Lord, help me to be eager to go now to my husband, whom I've sinned against, and eager to continue to battle my sin. Do you see how that might work? We use God's word. We use it to pray back to him. So moving on to number two, getting to the root of my sin. We're going to look at that sin that so easily entangles us. So this is another way we might preach the gospel to ourselves in our sin. We don't see sin really, um, usually, how it really is, right? We usually take it too lightly. Romans 1.18 says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Ephesians 5, 6 says, The wrath of God is upon the sons of disobedience. How did God feel about sin? His wrath was revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. His wrath is upon the sons of men. Well, two, how, what did God do about my sin? Sin is a huge deal, and what God did for our sin is an even bigger deal. I must know the gospel realities, there's a lot of them are right here, um, so that I don't despair. And the Christian life is not meant to be lived in despair. Christ is our hope. He has given us a way to walk in newness of life. Are you in despair? What has God provided for you but his word? What is my responsibility? To get my heart near to his word. What did God do about my sin? In Romans we see in 4 or 5, Christ has justified the ungodly. 5-6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. And Romans 5-8, God shows us his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When did he die? When I was still in my sin. <clears throat> what are the results of what God did about my sin? Romans 5-9, we are saved from the wrath of God. Ephesians 2.5, we were made alive with Christ and we are new creatures. We were far off, but we have been brought near. We have been adopted, and not only adopted, but we are co-heirs with Christ. I've just preached the gospel to my heart again. You will be encouraged in God's love for you as you search for more truths like that to proclaim to your heart. So each day, perhaps many times throughout your day, we open the scripture and we get alone with the Lord. There are distractions to be sure in our day, right? Often with little feet on them. But I know that I'm responsible to bring this heart of mine to the word of God so that God can search my heart, to do surgery, to lift my burdens as I sit and meditate on him. We all have distractions and they come in differing ways. Maybe with your kids, I know some of you have a clock that until it reads 7 o'clock, they're not allowed out of the rooms. 
um, that's great training and good communication. We want to teach our children that this time is really important to mom. It's really precious for her to be alone with the Lord. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. Uh, she trained her children that when she was on her knees and her apron over her head, they weren't to disturb her because she was in prayer. Her children learned early that um, she uh, saw seeking the Lord of most importance. That's pretty awesome. Sometimes that distraction is on my own mind, right? So maybe it's helpful to have a pad of paper and you uh, jot down things you need to do in the day or something that uh, you need to remember and get back to the time with the Lord. And then we need to be um, uh, aware and honest with ourselves about how um, electronics help or hinder us in our time with the Lord. Some find it helpful and some, to be honest, makes a stumbling block, right? You might find that it's way too easy with a touch of your finger to check an email or Instagram or whatever it might be. And maybe for you, uh, just to put that aside and use the word, there are lots of women who use uh, electronics and who are faithful drawn to the earth to the Lord, and that's great. But just being honest with yourself and, and knowing, is my heart distracted by these things? And we all face temptations to sin daily. Here's another need to tend my heart. I have been redeemed by the Redeemer, and I'm no longer bound to my sin. When temptation comes, I now have the ability, I, the ability and the need, sorry, getting ahead of myself. I now have the ability and the help I need to choose not to sin. My help comes from the Lord, he says. And here are some practical ways that we can do our part. We can be prepared to fight against temptation before it comes. Decide now how to handle that temptation before you're faced with it. Proverbs 22.3 says, The prudent sees the evil and hides himself. Temptation is easier to face if we've decided in advance how to respond. If you're easily angered, if that's something you um, continually face, or you're impatient, whatever it is, fill in the blank, be prepared, knowing that temptation is going to come again. And again, how do you train your children to walk or to feed themselves? It's continual. It's over and over practice, right? And it's the same for us. This won't be a one and done, most likely. Um, but by God's grace, he will help us to grow. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 is a great encouragement. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what your ability but with that temptation, he will also provide a way out, a way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. So on your outline, there is a plan for biblical response to temptation that might include the following items. I'm going to go through these kind of quickly. Recognize and acknowledge early that you are being tempted. Quickly, immediately ask God to help you to resist. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble. If possible, remove yourself immediately from that source of temptation. Make no provision for the flesh. If you lack self-control over eating your favorite dessert, don't have it in your house. Identify the unbiblical desire that would be served by yielding to this temptation. Self-love, self-centeredness, greed. Quote and meditate on scripture. God doesn't call to our mind scripture that we haven't memorized, so begin memorizing scripture related to that. Remind myself of God's presence, his power, and his promises. Reflect on the purpose of Christ's death. He, was free, he has freed me from the power over sin and purchased me that I might glorify him. 
Will this glorify God if I choose to pursue this temptation? Remember, temptation in itself is not sin, but it is the threshold into sin. Mentally and verbally, make a commitment to do the godly thing. Get busy doing a mind-engaging godly activity. Serve someone else or begin praying for someone else. Call a friend and ask for help, but do you notice how far this is down on the list? This is after you have sought the Lord's help and gone through many other steps. It's so quick to e easy to pick up a phone and ask a friend to help. Repeat aspects of this temptation until the power of the temptation is reduced or better yet, gone. This is usually a process. People often experience setbacks in their efforts to become more godly because they think it should be one and done. The key is humbling myself over and over and over again before the Lord in repentance. And when you get up off your knees, stepping out anew in obedience, he's provided that for us. Repentance is an ongoing lifestyle, not a one-time fix. Believers live in a repenting attitude. Well, what do I do with my heart and for my heart when I do fall into sin? Choose sin. We don't fall and do it. We choose it. We call unbiblical desires, thoughts, feelings, and actions what God does. Sin? Sin. That's not a question. It's sin. Use biblical terms. Nowhere in scripture does it talk about being annoyed. That's anger. It doesn't talk about being frustrated. He says you are being impatient. So call it what it is. Take full responsibility for your own sin. Don't blame shift. Confess the sin, both to God and others who you might have hurt. He is faithful to forgive us. Ask God to help me for not doing it again. Number five is remind yourself what Christ has done and is doing for you. Reflect on the benefits available to believers in Christ. The regeneration event benefits also in our God's transformation of man. Number eight, accurately evaluate the changes that have already occurred and the progress that has been made. Learn from failure by briefly examining what you did that you should not have done and what you didn't do that you should have done. Maybe go back and consider your heart. Before destruction, the heart is haughty, but humility goes before honor. The presence of destruction in my life is caused to evaluate the influence of pride that it might have had before the failure came, right? Was I proud before that sin? Evaluate. Really be honest with yourself. How blessed is the man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. Proverbs 28, 14. The presence of calamity is an opportunity to evaluate the hardness of my heart. Number 10, make restitution where necessary. Number 11, purpose to put the past behind you in a biblical way, not to just turn your head against it. Reserve your efforts to change in a godly manner and by God's grace. Planning is important, isn't it? But planning alone will not accomplish anything. For a plan to be effective, it must be put into practice. And practice we must we opened up to James 119 through 20 earlier, and now James 122 says, But prove yourselves doers of the word, and not mirrors only who did delude themselves. He has a stern warning here against looking into God's word without it impacting our lives. 
James says we are to receive the word implanted and to prove ourselves to be doers of the word, not mirrors only, hearers only who delude. And so that means that shepherding is 24-7, 365 days a year, no vacations, no breaks, right? We certainly need to be aware of what we're doing in our hearts when we do sin, both before and after. But we lay a foundation for that heart shepherding in the face of sin and conflict when we cultivate our relationship with the Lord. And we know that we can cultivate that by praying without ceasing, worshiping Him, turning on some praise music, thanking God, cultivating a heart of gratitude. When I remember what I deserve, wrath, separation for eternity from Him, and what I now enjoy, I grow in gratefulness. I thank him that I can sleep in the bed he's provided. I can drive the car that is his, and I can eat his food, and I can breathe his air. Expressing my needs, fears, and doubts and struggles to the Lord, a continual prayer. Praying for others and praying with others is really helpful. Listening to the word, listening to sermons online, whatever you can do to feed your relationship with the Lord, we must do. So these kinds of Christ-centered activities and disciplines lay a strong foundation for guarding against sin and for quickly identifying temptations and sin and for quickly recovering from our sin in a biblical way. <coughs> the provocations of sin are endless, for sure. Angry, judging, self-righteous, anxious, worry, to be self-serving, to make idols out of the things that we want, even really good things. There are many things that we desire that are good, godly marriage, believing husbands, children who obey their parents in the Lord. But when I respond sinfully, when I don't get those things, it shows that I've made an idol out of that thing, and I must repent. But having soaked myself in the realities of the gospel, we are much better equipped to recognize a temptation for what it is, and turn away from it by reminding myself of truths such as, in Christ I have the power not to sin. I am no longer a slave. I have a new master. The gospel informs me that I am the chief of, chief of sinners and the least of all saints. It drives me to regard others with humility and trust my first and not trust my first assessment of a situation. My heart deceives me. The gospel enables me to love, and love hopes all things. I can listen and better understand what's going on than to jump to conclusions. I have stumbled a thousand times into fill in the blank, anger, self-indulgence. Maybe I've confessed it and I've prayed about it, I've memorized verses, but still, here we go again, same sin again. Why? So this is the most exciting part. What is that sin telling me? Let's go to 2 Peter 1, because it offers a lot of help in this. 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. I if I can find it. That's right after 1 Peter. Thank you. <laughs> I found it. Thank you. 2 Peter encourages the study of God's word which then encourages God's people in holiness as they put this teaching into practice. Satan in the Garden of Eden questioned Adam and Eve, asking, did God really say that? Well, Christians are to fight Satan's snares by going back to scripture 
and by regulating their lives around God's word. We want to focus on the lasting grace of Christ and the salvation which he brings. You and I can stand on the finished work of the cross. We've been saved by God, from God, and to God. Remember, because of this, we're no longer our own, but we have been bought with a price, the precious price of Christ's blood. He now enables us to live gospel-transformed lives, but we have to battle for our sanctification, battle against sin, and battle for Christ. So 2 Peter 1, 1 through 15. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have been obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to you all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these things, these qualities, is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance in the eternal kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's through 11. Uh, Peter begins the chapter by describing what God has provided for the believer. It says he has given us faith by his own righteousness. It's God's work in us. He multiplies grace and peace to us through our knowledge of him. He has granted us everything. Not some things, but everything pertaining to life and godliness through his power and through our knowledge of him. Verse 4, he has granted us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them we partake <coughs> of the divine nature. That is, we become more like Christ and we escape the corruption of the world. We escape sin. Because of all these God-given blessings in verses 3 and 4, the believer can no longer be indifferent or self-satisfied. Such an abundance of divine grace calls for total dedication. We're called to be diligent, to add to our faith. Our first protection against corrupting influences from within is a commitment to that godliness which God's work, God's work in Christ has been made possible for us. Peter calls on us to make every effort in verse 5 to develop qualities that reflect God's nature. Faith, goodness, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, love. Such qualities, he says in verse 8, will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, how do we respond to what God has done? 
what to do with these precious and magnificent promises, God has supplied us with faith, and so now in that faith, we diligently supply all kinds of godly qualities. However, verse 9 says that he who lacks these qualities, this means he's not being diligent in supplying self-control or love or all of these qualities listed in verses 5 through 7, that person is blind <coughs> or short-sighted. Why? Well, verse 9 tells us, for whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sin. So we ask ourselves these questions. What does my sin tell me? What does my lack of self-control tell me? What does my lack of love tell me? It tells me that I've lost sight of what Christ has done for me on the cross. I'm short-sighted. All I can think about are the circumstances that pertain to me. I'm forgetting that Jesus died for my sin because he loved me. Not because there was anything good in me, that I am forgiven and I'm cleansed and I'm freed. I'm not slaves to sin any longer. I belong to Christ. And he has given me everything I need for life and godliness through my knowledge of him. And so these first Peter, Second Peter shows that one essential weapon against sin is to remember. Remember. To remember what he's done. Who I am because of him and how badly I need him. Apart from Christ, I can do no good thing. Remember, remember, remember. There's a lot of what I'm sharing today. You already know. I'm just reminding you of what he's already said and what you already know. And so we pray and we remind ourselves throughout the day. I've been cleansed. I am not a slave to this anger. I do not have to choose to be angry right now or self-pity or self-indulgent. Remembering what he has done on my behalf and the benefits that are now mine are essential. We begin, we begin that remembering when we're in his word early in the morning or whenever, and we carry that throughout the day. We remind our hearts and we remind others of his saving grace and mercy that is now ours um, who belong to Christ. It's so easy to forget, isn't it? So easy to forget. This is another way that we can build one another up. And another reason that it's vital that we be meeting together with the saints. Like I said earlier, haven't you, maybe your afternoon has gotten a little crazy and you end up at small group. You've forgotten the magnificent truths. And as your dear friends share and you listen, you're reminded of the good news. And your heart is lifted again. They tell you how they've talked to their heart that day, how they've shepherded their heart through circumstance. And you are reminded again. Remembering when perhaps I am sinned against by my friend or my husband or co-worker, that he has been redeemed by God, and the sin that he has just committed against me is really against the Lord, and Christ has already paid for that sin. Or perhaps he or she hasn't been saved, and I recall the gospel, and I remember that I was that person before Christ saved me. I was lost. I had no hope. I was in opposition to Christ as this one is now standing before me. And I'm humbled and I'm, I need to forgive and I'm ready to forgive by God's grace because of what he has forgiven me. And if I'm holding sin against this one whom Christ has redeemed, when Christ has paid the penalty for this sin and I'm not viewing her as Christ is, I have no right to hold this sin against her when Christ doesn't hold that sin against her. Do you see how the gospel transformed my relationships? 
This is not our, refer our first response so very often. But we strive, we get back and we start over and we strive to use the tools, the benefits that he's given us to battle our, and to have victory in this. It better displays him. It's for his glory. It's to be made much of him. So we have seen that shepherding my heart is a constant and continual discipline. We have seen that heart shepherding is confession of sin, cultivating a right view of God, relinquishing my perceived rights, <clears throat> forgiveness, trusting God with his sovereign plan, informing my mind and heart of biblical truths. We are all on a journey of sanctification, are we not? We are all at different places in that journey. Some have walked with the Lord for many, many years, and some have just begun. Either way, both ways, none of us is close to exhausting all that we can know about our Savior and what he has done. And together, though we are continually growing in our walk with God, as we remember, remember all that he has done for us. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for all the provisions that you have given. You have given the provision of Christ on my behalf, on our behalf. You have given us your word. You have not left us alone. You are holy and you deserve only good. And Lord, we are not good. Each of us, like sheep, have gone astray. But you have laid on your back the iniquity of us all. Lord, we thank you. We are grateful for it. And Lord, we desire more and more because of that, because of the cross, because of what you have done to provide for us. We desire to live lives um, that display you, lives that glorify you, that honor you. Lord, we are weak in ourselves and we need you. We need you to help us. So Lord, I pray that these truths today, even as I was reading them or sharing them, um, just pressed upon my heart more and more. And I pray that as we leave here, we will be in greater love. We have greater love for you, greater affection for you. Thank you that it's your kindness that has led us to repentance. Lord, may we be in awe of you throughout this day as we go to your word, as we walk out these doors. God, you are to be honored. You are to be glorified. Thank you for all that you have provided through your word. And I pray as we go to small group time that we would be transparent with one another. If we don't understand, be willing to say, I don't get this. I don't understand. Lord, we want all of us to have um, the understanding of how it is that we are to shepherd our heart through your word. God, we love you and we look forward to all that you're going to do in us and through us and it is all to your uh, glory. Thank you for your grace to us, your mercy, your forgiveness. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Yeah.